And we will be in Colossians 2, 6 through 10. Let's pray. Lord, we just sang, speak now. And I ask that you would, and that we would listen. So open our hearts, our eyes, help us to hear, help us to see. And Lord, help us to obey. We ask in your name. Amen. Please be seated. At our house, we have a couple of really, really big maple trees in our backyard. And until last year, we had three or four huge oak trees in the front of our house and the neighbor's houses. Um, And that was really something that brought a lot of despair to my heart every fall, you know, getting all those leaves up. Um, But... The four trees in front are gone now, so that makes it a little easier. The thing that really got to me the most wasn't the leaves. It got to me. But the thing that got to me was looking out and seeing hundreds of little bitty trees growing out of my yard. Eggcorns and the little seed copters from the maple trees. And and I'd see all these trees out there, and I'd go, oh, my goodness. And the only way to get them is, I mean, like right then. After a rain within, you know, they're one or two inches, you can pull them right out. Wait a few weeks or months, and you're not pulling those things out anymore. You're digging those things out. As a matter of fact, one time we had one that had grown in our backyard. It was about five foot tall. Now, it wasn't more than an inch in diameter, but it was five feet tall, and Frank heard about it. Frank John heard about it. And he wanted, to, wanted that tree to take home and plant at his house. So he brought one of his grandsons and they came over and they started digging down and they wanted to get all of the roots. So this took an hour to dig a big, huge hole to get all of those roots so that then they could take that tree and plant it at home. The important part was the roots not be damaged. And, and, and that's one of the things that, that Paul is trying to get across in this section when it comes to spiritual things. Our roots, like a tree's, need to go down deep in order for us to be firm, in order for us to be growing in the way that God wants us to grow. Now, Paul has been challenging the church in Colossae and and encouraging them to grow. And all along he's been challenging the false teaching, not necessarily head-on, but every now and then he'll say something and it's a swipe at the mystery cults that are out there that were saying you had to have some special knowledge or you had to have this or that. And, And only if you did this would you be able to then, you know, achieve the next level of spirituality. And and they did all kinds of strange and interesting stuff um, the, these mystery cults. And, and so Paul is addressing that all through the book. Now, he doesn't address it in the sense of saying, boom, here's what you need to be aware of, one, two, three. But every now and then he comes in and he just plants some truth there that obviously is aimed at some of the falsehood of the false teachers. So he uses the word mystery in several different ways. Um, <clears throat> always... Let's go ahead and go to the next one, Tim. Thanks. Always, when he's using the word mystery, he's talking about something that that maybe wasn't known that now is. But in every way that he uses it, he's also using it to attack the mystery cults and say to them, you guys are wrong. Okay? And you'll see that really strongly today. But he uses the word mystery in, in this in several senses, and here's some of those. The gospel is both for the Gentiles and Jews. That was hidden before. 
And now that Christ has come and lived, died, and ascended into heaven, that's, that's a truth that both the Gentiles and the Jews um, could receive the gospel. Another one, part of the mystery was that the church included all who believe. Slave, free, Gentile, Jew, male, female, didn't matter. Everyone who believed was part of the church. That was a big thing. And then this, this one is one of those he's hit a couple of times in chapter 1, that the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he's saying this to the Colossians, saying, hey, when you believe, Christ is in you. And that's the hope we have of eternity with Christ. And then again, last week we talked about how all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, they're not in the mystery cult. They're not in there having to learn something special. They're in Christ. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ, not hidden away that you need to go find somewhere with some somebody who's going to give you these, the secret knowledge. So I'm just going to read from verse 2 to grab some of the context as we head into verse 6. Paul says, I want them, the church, to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have a complete confidence that they understand God's mystery or God's mysterious plan, which is Christ Himself. In Him, Christ, lie all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And now as we go down to verse 6, he says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue in Him. And that so then or that therefore, that context comes right out of verse 5 where he's saying, the whole idea that, listen, I delight to see that you are standing firm in your faith. And because I delight to see that, I therefore want you to continue to, as you have received Christ. And so that's, that's really the strongest thing he's saying here. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue in Continue to live in Him. So again, just as you received that, that whole idea that Paul's hitting at here is, let's go back to basics. How did you come to be part of the church? How did you come to be part of God's family, the church? Well, it was because you believed in Jesus Christ, that He died for you, and that He paid the price for your sins. You believed that, and that brought you into the church. And so he says, just as you received Christ Jesus, in other words, by faith, you receive Christ Jesus by faith. Continue to live in Him. How? Again, by faith. So you received Him by faith, and now you need to continue walking in Him, and you do that by faith as well. Now, continue there is a Greek present tense imperative, and what that really means is that is a command that we are to continue and keep on going. In other words, keep going, keep walking, keep living for the Lord. Continue. Keep on going. And in the Christian Standard Version, it puts it this way. Therefore, <clears throat> just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Now, one thing we need to think through here, um, been a, many years ago there was a big controversy about, they called it Lordship Salvation, and a number of other things, and books were written back and forth. Paul is not talking about the Lordship of Christ and salvation here. He says, Jesus Christ, and he's using that as his personal name, the Lord, which is his title of who he is and what he does. So that's the way that Paul is actually using that phrase here. Please remember, in that time frame, you would swear allegiance to Rome and to Caesar by saying, 
Caesar is Lord. And Christians would not do that because Jesus Christ is Lord. And so that's, that's the way that Paul is actually using that particular uh, phrase at this point in time. And then he goes on in verse 7. So verse 6, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And so you've got this incredible <clears throat> um, statement here of what it, what it looks like for a Christian to be growing and, and to be moving in the direction of um, being closer and closer to the Lord. Remember, he, he says, just as you received Him, you need to continue. And then he says, you need to be rooted and built up. You need to be strengthened. And you need to be thankful. So there's four things there that he mentions that are part of what a mature Christian would look like. First of all, rooted is, a, is an agricultural word. And Paul is using it as, as the roots of a tree. So I want you to be like a tree that is firmly rooted, where the roots have gone down deep. And there's strength and nutrients being brought through those roots. The roots don't exist for themselves. The roots exist for the tree. And that's what he's saying. Let your roots go down deep into, into the Lord. And then being rooted in Him and being built up in Him. And this is an architectural term you would use normally for building a structure of some kind. And on one level, you could say that, yes, we're part of the, the building, the church, if you will. Christ is the cornerstone, and then there was disciples, and, and we've been added to that. But the term is, Paul is using it here in a little different way. And this is the sense of building someone up encouraging someone, strengthening someone, coming alongside of them and, and helping them to grow. That's, that's where he's going. I want you to be built up in Him and you do that as you come alongside each other and, and encourage each other. So be rooted in Him, built up in Him, and strengthened in the faith. And that word is a military term. It means to be established and secure and not to be moved by anything false. That's the way Paul is using the word. So you need to be strengthened. You need to be um, strengthened in the faith. You need to be established. You need to be secure in your faith and not moved by anything contrary to the truth that you've been taught. And I love that because he's strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And this is a statement about Epaphras. What he's saying here is Epaphras did a great job. He taught you the truth of God's Word clearly. He brought you to Christ and He helped start that church. And now you need to hang on to the truth that you were taught. Hang on to what Epaphras said to you. So be rooted, be built up, be strengthened as you were taught, and then be overflowing with thankfulness. So some people think that the first three actually lead to the fourth, and that's certainly a possibility the way he's writing this. So if you're rooted and you're built up and you're strengthened, then one of the things that will happen is that there will be an overflowing of thankfulness. And, and, and this word is, is a word that is used of rivers overflowing their banks. So that's the way our thanksgiving should be, just overflowing. And just everywhere, we're just so thankful for what God has done. And it's a present tense, so that means our thanksgiving should be a continual thing and a habitual thing. Both of those things need to be going on. And so you see, <clears throat> Paul's just really kind of nailing some things down here for them and saying, this is, this is what I want you to know. Now, there's a couple of implications here, and I want to just go back to verse 6 for the first implication. <clears throat> verse 6 says, in the net translation, Therefore, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Now, 
Think this through with me. Just as you received Christ Jesus, how was that? By believing, by faith in Him and what He had done. So just as you received Christ by faith, continue to live your life in Him. How? By faith. Interesting way he puts it there. So just as you receive Christ Jesus, which is by faith, continue to live your lives in Him, which is, again, by faith. So a couple of things going on there, and both things are related to faith. One is to put your faith and trust in Him to be saved, and then the second one is the whole idea of continuing to trust and grow and place your faith, not in Him to be saved, but in Him to help you to grow and to give you the strength you need as you continue on. Now I think Romans 1, 16-17 handles the same truth. Um, many people look at Romans 1, 16 and 17 and think, okay, this is, this is the key or this is the summary of the book of Romans in two verses. Others will, th- will tell you that the summary of the gospel is found in these two verses. So I want to just look at verse 16 starting um, <clears throat> from the Phillips translation and then he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, I see it as the very power of God, working for salvation of everyone who believes it. And the, it is the gospel, both to the Jew and to the Greek. So he says, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It changes lives dramatically. When someone believes on Jesus and they receive that salvation and forgiveness that He's promised, now they're born again and now they are part of the church. They are part of, the, of God's family in a very special, unique, and precious way, the church, is I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it changes lives. It takes people who are broken and people who are lost and brings them in to the church and into the family. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's the critical part. Um, He goes on then talk a little bit more. Verse 17, uh, I see in it, in the gospel, God's plan for imparting righteousness or imputing holiness, righteousness to men, a process begun by faith and continued the growth by their faith. So again, what's Paul saying here in Romans 117? He's saying, hey, <clears throat> the gospel is something that you receive by faith and then you continue to live that out by faith. And then he goes on to say, the righteous, quotes Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. And that, So again, Paul brings it all together here. He says, listen, you are saved by grace through faith, absolutely. But you continue to grow and live your life for Christ by faith. You cannot live the Christian life by yourself. You cannot live the Christian life in any way, shape, or form without the help and the strength of God and the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And so that's the point that Paul is making there. Um, <clears throat> in the ESV, I'm sorry, the NIV puts it this way, for in the gospel, righteousness from God is revealed, righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Uh, the ESV says from faith to faith. But again, I think... Really, the, what's being captured by the Phillips translation is the idea that both salvation and growth are by faith. Both of those things are by faith. <clears throat> Merrick, there's a quote here that I found really helpful. It says, "The life of faith is an all-encompassing. Is all-encompassing. It is by faith that one initially receives the gift of salvation or eternal life. But it is also by faith that one lives each day." 
So we're saved by grace through faith, and we live with God's strength and mercy and grace every day. In 1544, Martin Luther went to Rome, and he had been for a number of years before this struggling with uh, what the Roman Catholic Church would say about things, and, and a lot of things they did back in the 1500s that were um, just really hard hard for him to cope with, and, and he didn't see a lot of hope because he knew he knew the Word of God. He'd studied it. He'd been to seminary, all that kind of thing. But he didn't have peace with God. He did not have peace with God. So he went to went to Rome, and a lot of people went to Rome in those days to do a number of the penance things that are done. And walking on your knees here, or going to this, another place and doing some ritual. Well, he decided he was going to go to something called the Scala Santa, or the Holy Stairs, which are still in Rome, and you can see them. And you'll see people doing this still, going up these stairs on their knees. And so as he's going up the stairs, praying and doing the things that you're supposed to do in that time frame that he was supposed to do, he wasn't receiving a whole lot of... He just really didn't think this was helping him at all. But he kept going, kept going up on his knees, and it's a long way up. And he's going on his knees on this marble steps, and he's praying, and he's reciting Scripture. And all of a sudden, and, and his words are, the, the words of Habakkuk 2.4 burned into his brain. Just clear as day. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It was on his knees, trying to do penance for the things he's done, trying to earn God's pleasure, all kinds of things he was trying to figure out and trying to somehow have peace with God when he remembered the Scripture that said, the just shall live by faith. He got up, walked down the stairs, and went back home. And this verse became his personal you know, kind of verse that challenged him, but it also became the cornerstone of all that he taught. Because he now came into the picture saying to people, we're not saved by doing all these things. We're not saved by going on a pilgrimage. We're not saved by crawling up steps on our knees. We are saved by grace through faith. And we are justified by God because of what He has chosen to do. The just shall live by faith. And so Luther realized that it was possible for men and women to stand sinless before God. Not because of anything they had done or any rituals that they had done, but because righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And so as he put your faith in Christ, the righteousness of Christ is imputed or given to us. And we no longer stand before God as sinful and worthy of condemnation. We stand before God when we believed in Christ as holy and pure and God sees the blood of Christ and then He sees us. We are saved by grace through faith. So Paul said men and women can stand sinless before God. Not because of what they do, but because of what Christ has done. Luther went on to say, men and women can know that they have eternal life. They have it already. It has already started. First John 5.13 says that all those who believe in Jesus may know that they have eternal life. That's why he wrote that verse for them to understand. Luther also realized that to, to be free from the frustration of earning righteousness, earning heaven. Ephesians is very clear. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. 
And, and Luther understood that. And, and it, 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 he realized that and it changed his life and it changed the way he ministered. Uh, put him in dangerous situations when he was attacked because of the teaching that he was bringing. And yet, what an incredible thing. The just shall live by faith. So, just as you received Jesus by faith, continue in Jesus, living for Him by faith. That's the first implication. Second implication, Colossians 2, 6 and 7 in the Christian Standard Bible says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. And so again, Paul says, listen, this is, this is stuff that you know, you've heard, you've been taught. Again, the Phillips translation puts it this way, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so go on living in simple faith. Grow out of Him as a plant grows out of the soil, planted, becoming more and more sure of the faith as you were taught, and your lives will overflow with thankfulness. And so, Three things that Paul mentioned here, the whole idea of continuing to walk in Him. Paul said, this is how you do it. This is what it means to walk in Christ. One is you are rooted in Him. You're strengthened by the roots going down deep. And so you do what you need to do. You're in the Word. You're, you're with your brothers and sisters. You're spending time with the Lord. All of that with one goal, and that's to send the roots down deep so that the tree grabs a hold that's fixed and firm and constant. And Psalm 1-3 has that whole thought of a, you know, the tree being planted by the streams of water and, and nothing happens to the tree because the roots have gone down deep. Second one, build up in Him. And the whole idea of edifying, encouraging, and helping others to grow. Um, we're supposed to build on the foundation of the apostles, but Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And as we build up others and we encourage and edify them and help them to grow, we're being built up as, as, a, as the church, um, which is Christ as the head. And so it's continue to walk in Him, rooted in Him, built up in Him, and established in the faith. Grow strong in the faith, to be firm and stable in the faith. The whole idea of being established and secure, not moved by false teaching. That's really what he's hammering at here. Don't be moved by those things that you're hearing and these fancy-looking things and the, the pretty words that you're hearing. Don't be moved by that. You are established in the faith. Grow strong in that. A little further in Colossians, he's going to say, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's how you continue to be established and grow in the faith. Now, it's possible Paul was taking some of what he was doing right out of the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 1, the first verse says, Blessed are the people who, and and it gives you several things, but verse 2 says, Blessed is the person who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So the person who delights in God's Word, spends time in God's Word. The result is, verse 3, He, the one who delights in God's Word, is like a tree planted by streams of water. Yields its fruit in its season. Leaf doesn't wither. And whatever he does prospers. So there's that whole idea of letting the roots go down deep and being built up and established in Him. A few years ago, I bought a a pine tree about four feet tall. A little scraggly thing. I got it for $5 because they thought it was dead. 
I was willing to take a shot. <laughs> so I brought this thing home and I, you know, dug a big hole and very carefully got it out because the roots were starting to crumble already. And I, I put it down the hole and I didn't pray over it. I probably should have, but I didn't. I, I, I put the dirt around it and I watered it and watered it and watered it. And it grew. And all of a sudden the roots began to take firm hold of the ground. And you can go by our house now and you'll see there's about a 20 foot tree there that started out as an almost dead tree. But when the roots were established and they began to grow deep, then the tree began to grow and prosper as well. Our roots are supposed to be going down deep into the Lord. That's what we're called to. And there's a reason for that. If we're rooted in Him and we're built up in Him and established in our faith, then we're not going to be shaken and we're not going to be wandering off after some false teacher. And that's exactly what Paul was trying to communicate. Don't. Don't go after the false teachers. Now, in verse 8, he begins with a huge warning. And sometimes you, you, you hear something and you go, oh, that, that's, that's a good thought. Well, here, when you get to verse 8, in verse 9, you're going to see Paul is just, it's like he wants to hit a home run or, you know, call checkmate or whatever, whatever you have in mind for that's it, it's over, nothing else can happen. That's what's going to happen here in verse 9 for us. But let's start in verse 8. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now, the whole idea of being taken captive is, comes from the military where they would take captives and then take them off into slavery. And Paul is saying, don't let that happen to you. Don't be taken captive and then hauled off into slavery. He goes on to say, um, don't give in to hollow, deceptive philosophy. They're empty and they're lying words. Now, he's not specifically talking about the Greek philosophers here. He's talking about the philosophy of life of the false teachers. So he's talking about them specifically when he says, don't give in to the, the, the empty words. Don't give in um, <clears throat> to those things which are trying to capture you and, and take you in a different direction. He says, don't give in to hollow, deceptive words. Um, and he said, you know, the, these things depend on human tradition. Now, what? again, people are studying this or trying to figure out what did he mean by this and what exactly was he referring to here some people think when he talks about oral tradition here, he may be talking about some of the things that were added to the Old Testament Jewish law, oral traditions that were added to it. Many of them really were not part, well, they weren't part of the Old Testament, and yet they were added on. And, and also, even in the pagan things, traditions were added into things. So it could be either one of those or both of those that he's referring to there. Um, and then he says, you know, the basic principles of this world is the whole idea of spiritual powers of the world, not the spiritual powers of God in heaven, but the spiritual powers of the world which find their source in the demonic and in the satanic. So he says, don't, don't let them take you captive. Don't let them captivate you in any way, shape, or form. Don't give in to the hollow, deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. And then here to me is the key to the whole verse. Don't, and there's a whole bunch of stuff here, rather than Christ. So he's saying, don't give in to this, and don't give in to this, and be careful of this, and don't ever do this rather than following Jesus Christ. Rather than listening to Jesus Christ. So as you're looking at that word, 
You know, think about what he's saying here. Here's all the things that are out there that are coming at you or trying to get you and pull you away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't believe those things. Don't give in to those things rather than following Jesus. The point of the verse is follow Jesus. These other things, they're there. And so again, he's, he's attacking the falsehood away in a, in a special way. Every now and then I get a call from someone who wants to argue with me. <clears throat> I got one this week and this person called up and he said, I'd like to read you a verse. I said, okay. He read me a verse. He said, now, do you believe that verse? I said, yes, I do. He said, well, then why do you have on your website that you believe in three gods? And I thought, oh, man, I really don't want to do this today. And so I, I said to him, listen, I said, I, uh, you have the right to deny the Trinity and that doctrine if you choose to. That is your choice. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you about that. So have a great day. And I, and I moved on back into the things that I was doing. But that's the kind of thing that Paul's referring to. Don't let people take you here or there. Don't buy into the silliness that you're hearing. And, and this is really important. Anyone who is offering us a way to gain favor with God or a way to get to heaven apart from Christ is peddling lies right out of the pit of hell. Understand that. Let me say it again. Anyone who offers us a way to gain favor with God or a way to get to heaven apart from Christ is peddling lies of the devil. And that's one thing Paul says very, very clearly. The New Living really captures, I think, what Paul was trying to say in verse 8. Paul said, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than Christ. Don't give in any of this stuff rather than Christ. So uh, the question really that, that could, have, could be asked here is, are you sure you want to believe something other than what Jesus said? Are you sure you want to live and do things in ways that Christ does not want you to? The false teachers were challenging the deity of Christ and whether or not He was fully human and fully God at the same time. And, and they were saying that all matter is evil and only the spiritual is good. There's all kinds of things that were kind of mixed up in this false teaching. A big one was Jesus couldn't be fully man and fully God. That was a big one that they, they were coming at the church strong with. So listen to Paul and how he addresses that in just a few short words. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Okay? Fully God, fully man. Checkmate. How are you going to argue with that? I mean, Paul makes it very, very clear. This is who Christ is. All of the fullness of God is in Him. And He is in a human body. So... All of the fullness of Christ. So in Christ, all the fullness, every bit of God is in Christ. All of God is in Christ. Deity. <clears throat> and this is a present tense. All of, in, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives. Present tense. Not temporary. It's permanent. In other words, He lives and will continue to do so. And He is fully God and fully man. 
All of God is in Christ, and He is fully man at the same time. So Jesus was human in every way except for sin. Now this um, quote I thought was really helpful. At the Incarnation, the second person of the Trinity assumed humanity and is forever the God-man. The God-man. That's Jesus. Now, the Christian Standard Bible, I think, I love the way they, they uh, summarize or the way they translated this verse. The entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Again, all of God is in Christ who is fully human. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. So, all the fullness of God is in Christ. All the fullness of God is in Christ who is fully human. He's living, breathing, bleeding human being. Don't be captured by empty philosophy. Don't be taken captive by the false truths that are being presented to you. That's exactly what Paul is saying. The entire truth of God's, entire fullness of God's nature dwells in Christ Jesus. Now, in chapter 1, verse 19, he actually said an introductory statement that he followed up with here in verse 9. 119 says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in His Son. And so, really, that was just a statement of all of God, again, is in Christ. But in verse 9 of chapter 2, it's the entire fullness of God's nature is in the bodily person of Christ. So there's a quote here, we can see the fullness of God in His work in heaven and creation around us, but in Christ we see the face of God. And I just love the way that was written because, yeah, we see nature, we see the wonder, the grandeur, the amazing, amazing things that God has done. But in Christ we see God Himself because that is what who Christ is. And so, on one level, Paul at this point, I think he could have simply said, I have nothing else to say to you. <laughs> That's the reality right there. Christ is God and He is human at the same time. You've been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. So verse 10, you know, all the fullness of, Christ, uh, of deity dwells in bodily form in Christ. And You've been given fullness in Christ. We have been given fullness in Christ. We have been filled by Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. He's the ruler over everything. So verse 10 in in the Christian standard, again, put it this way, and you have been filled by Him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Now, as as we're looking at this, you know, I was working through this this week and kind of struggling with, okay, how do I explain this? And I came across several things, but <clears throat> this is just one way to, to look at it. Imagine that I'm standing on the beach of the Pacific Ocean and I'm looking out at this vast expanse of water and it just goes on and I have no idea. I mean, I just feel like a speck on the shore. And, and as I see the vastness of the Pacific, I take a quart jar out and I stick it in the water and it is filled, filled with the fullness of the Pacific. But it does not contain the Pacific. Okay? So I've got the jar filled with, with the Pacific, but all the Pacific's not in that jar. 
Okay, so just talk, think about that when it says that for in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells, uh, lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. What does that mean that we've been given fullness in Christ? Are we like Christ in the sense that He is all these things and fills all things? Absolutely not. But when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, He does enter our heart and our lives. And so we are filled. We are filled in a sense that we are sharing in the fullness of Christ. We, we aren't Christ. We can never be Christ. We can never be all the fullness of Christ. I mean, we can have the fullness of Christ because He's filled us, but that doesn't mean that all of Christ is in us. And, and this is where you kind of start thinking, oh, what does this really mean? What it means is that Jesus is infinite and we're finite. And we are filled with the fullness of Christ because we share, we share in His fullness in that way. And so that was one of the things that kind of worked through and struggled through this week. There's a couple of takeaways here. Um, verse 8, again, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And again, as I read and studied this this week, this verse just kept coming back, and especially that one word. Why would I believe all of these things instead of Jesus Christ? And that's what he's saying. Don't be captured by these things. Instead, follow Christ. And the thought is there. Never, 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 and I could go on saying that for a long time, Settle for anyone or anything rather than Christ or instead of Christ. Never, never, never add a whole bunch of those. Believe anything rather than Christ or instead of Christ. We are not to be captured by anything no matter how fancy it sounds or good it looks. If something or someone comes in and wants to take our attention and our focus away from Christ, turn around. And go back. Because Christ is the one who we are following and we receive the fullness of Christ from Him. A couple of examples of um, verse 9. Let's go ahead and jump to the second one. So run back to Christ was the whole idea. Don't don't do anything rather than Christ. The second implication is from verse 9. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you've been filled by Him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So all the fullness of the eternal God dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. And, and we believe and receive Jesus. We pass from death to life. And we pass from being empty to being full. We're no longer empty. We're no longer trying to fill ourselves with whatever comes along because Jesus Christ is the fullness that we have received when we come to Him. And so we believe on Him and we receive all of the fullness of Christ as he as we share in that fullness that he's that he has given us. Now, just a couple of examples to help us think that through. Remember the demon possessed man that came out of the tombs. This man lived a hideous life. As a matter of fact, he was called Legion because there were so many demons inside of him. He was filled with the fullness of Satan. Okay, that's that was going on in this man's life. Jesus cast out the demons and the man was able to think clearly and believe in Jesus at that point in time. He passed from death to life 
He passed from being filled with Satan to being filled with Christ. And the freedom that that brought him, he was no longer bound to the tombs or the chains or anything else that came along. He wasn't bound by the demons that were in him, forcing him to do whatever it was they wanted. He now was free from them, and he was free from them in order to be able to take part in the fullness of Christ. The woman at the well. Now this, is a, this is a lady who um, figured she could have any man she wanted. She could be filled by that kind of a thing. And she tried it, and unfortunately it led to a very empty and lonely life, which is why she was at the well at noon rather than early in the morning or late at night with the rest of the women. And when Jesus cast out, <clears throat> when Jesus talked with her and challenged her, she acknowledges she had five husbands, and she now had, the way Jesus put it, the man you now have is not your husband. And so Jesus showed her that she could be forgiven. And she could pass from death to life. And she could have all of the fullness of Christ instead of all of the emptiness and the way that she tried to fill her lives with one man after another. I find it fascinating that it was in that conversation that Jesus talked to her about having her thirst quenched and satisfied. And then Jeremiah, the last example, prophesied against Israel because they turned away from God. And in Jeremiah 2, verse 11, he says this, My people have exchanged me, the glorious God, for a God that cannot help them at all. So they took something rather than God instead of God. They've exchanged me. They've decided that they want something else. Verse 12, My people have rejected me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns which cannot hold water. So the choice of Israel was the living God who is represented by the living stream, which is a stream that always ran clear, never went dry. That's what they had in in God. And they decided that they'd really rather have one of these broken down cisterns carved out of the rock or a clay kind of a pot that rainwater would kind of flow down off the hill and into the cistern. And they were meant for giving animals water. But the picture here is that Israel says, okay, here's the living stream, the living and true God. Let's go over here and drink out of this instead. Let's do this rather than God. And that's why God says they've committed two evils. They've turned away from me, and they've turned to that kind of a thing to have themselves satisfied. And it cannot satisfy. How could they do this? Israel, you you have the streams of God. Why? Why would you turn away? Why turn away from the fullness that God offers you? But they did. They chose to turn away and settle for dirty, filthy water rather than the fullness of God and to live following Him. Verse 8 again says this, See to it that no one takes you captive or captivates you. Don't buy into the hollow, deceptive traditions or the false teaching. The basic principles of the word, world rather than Christ. So 
very clear, very strong, strong warning. Paul says, listen, you're surrounded by all kinds of stuff. Don't do any of that rather than Christ. Stick to Christ. And then when we believe in Jesus that He died for us and we're saved and, and we are, we are given all of the, we're given the fullness of Christ. We share in that and, and He's the head over every power and authority. And so in this passage, we are warned not to settle for anything instead of Christ. That's huge. If you go away with nothing else today, hang on to that truth. I will not settle for anything rather than Christ, anything instead of Christ. Christ is who I want. The song Daniel had us sing was all about that. Christ is the one that I need. He's the one that needs to be my focus and my all. So we're warned not to settle for anything or anyone rather than Christ or instead of Christ. And we are called to share in the fullness of Christ and to not settle for anything less than that. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for Your Word and thank You for the power that that You've shown uh, through Your Spirit as You've given us these truths. And Lord, I pray that today as we've studied these things together that You would grab a hold of our hearts and Lord, help us never, ever to settle for anything but You. Help us to think of You and You alone rather than anything else. So keep that foremost in our minds. Keep that foremost in mine and in the minds of all of my brothers and sisters here today. We ask your help and strength to be able to follow and serve you in the way that you've asked us to. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.